and begin the day with gathering together, paying our respects to the Triple Gem, Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. Well, the Buddha pointed out that uh, the highest kind of praise and reverence was not just to to recite the virtues or to make offerings of flowers and gifts and so forth. The highest kind of reverence was uh, enacted, was embodied in carrying out the, the teacher's instruction. To actually practice the Dhamma is the most beautiful and complete way of uh, showing our, our respect, our gratitude towards the, the teacher. To embody the Triple Gem is the best way of paying respect to the Triple Gem. So we recite the verses of respect and reverence, homage, but also we recollect the essential teachings going through the the Buddha's analysis of the nature of body and mind, how to see it clearly, how to understand it as it is, how to examine our experience, to see how our, our mind fabricates its experience of the world, how to see that clearly how to free the heart from confusion about that. Now, there are many different ways we can analyze experience, think about it, talk about it, explore it. But in this form of practice, the the most um, usable tool, the approach that is most accessible for most people, is the uh, simple division of body and mind into physical form, rupa, meaning the body, and then the realm of the mind, divided into these four different sections. Vedana being feeling, sensations, pleasant, painful, neutral. Sanya is perception, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Also the, the mind sense, sanya, perception. Sankara, meaning thoughts, emotions, moods, intentions, motivation, memory, concepts, ideas, fantasies, fears, the whole realm of mental activity, mental creation, Sankara Kanda.
and consciousness itself, vijnana, discriminative consciousness, that capacity of mind which knows, which is uh, able to cognize and discriminate this from that. This is a simple way of describing, of grouping the activities of body and mind. The body, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. And in this uh, simple description that we recite in the in the morning, here in the morning chanting, you know, the Buddha points out that it's identification with these five groups, these five chunks of experience, identification with the body, with feelings, with perceptions, with mental formations, ideas and opinions, moods. Identification with consciousness, which means the the delusion that I am thinking, I am remembering, I am experiencing, I am acting. This is what is meant by vijnana upadana kanda, grasping at consciousness, identifying with consciousness. So this is what causes the uh, the feelings of alienation, of incompleteness, of dissatisfaction, the habits of identifying, grasping, body and mind. That grasping is the very source of self-view, the engine of Sakaya Ditti, that habit of claiming, this body is mine, it's who and what I am. This feeling of pleasure or pain is who and what I am. It's uh, these uh, perceptions, what is tasted, what is heard, smelt, seen. These belong to me. These are mine. These are who and what I am. These ideas, these opinions, these memories, these are me. These are mine. These are my choices, my intentions, my ideas, my plans, my love, my hate, my grief, my excitement. Identification with Sankara. Identification with consciousness. There's a me here who is knowing, a me here who is experiencing, a me, an individual, separate and independent. That is the one that's experiencing, doing, feeling.
Now we can take a statement like, the body is not self, and we can say, try to believe in it, take it as coming from the Buddha or coming from the teacher. We're being told that this is true. But just believing something that we hear from outside doesn't really help us. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. So it's important to understand that the Buddha's, Buddha put these teachings out. The Buddha's approach was not to make emphatic statements to be believed, but more what he, uh, he did in the original description of these teachings to his uh, five companions in the deer park shortly after his enlightenment, rather than saying, this is true, you should believe me. Instead, his approach was, look, this is how it looks to me. How does it look to you? Examine it, explore it, investigate it. And the tools for investigation, the way to explore and look into these qualities were these uh, characteristics that he identified that all, all things have, whether it's mental or physical. And the first characteristic is that of change, transiency, instability, anicca. So rather than trying to believe that uh, the body is not self or the body is unsatisfactory, he said, uh, look, do you see that the body is changing? Do you see that physical form changes? Is there anything that doesn't change? And then seeing that, uh, yes, indeed, you know, everything changes, he then followed it by asking, so if something is changing, can it be permanently satisfactory? If something changes... Can it please us? Can it satisfy us forever? Well, no. It's either pleasant now and then it changes and the pleasure ends, or it's unpleasant now already. So no experience can be permanently satisfying. And then he asked, so if something is unstable, if it's changing, if it's unsatisfactory, then is it appropriate, is it suitable to say of that, this is me, this is what I am, this is my self, my true self. And the conclusion that uh, his companions were drawn to was no. Because if something was self, it would be satisfactory, it would be re reliable and permanent. It would be who and what we are. So these, uh, these qualities, these characteristics of anicca, of change, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, anatta, they are means of examining our experience. They are ways to explore and examine our experience. They are not just principles to be believed in, 
but they're tools to, to use to explore, to look into the nature of our moment-to-moment awareness of the world, how the world takes shape in our minds. Is something changing? Whether it's inside or outside, is it changing? Is this experience something that's completely satisfying? Something that's sweet and delightful right now? Can it stay that way? Does it remain pleasing? Does it become ordinary? Does the attention drift from it? What happens? The feeling of self around an idea or a perception or a memory. Can we find what that feeling of self is referring to? What is it here that's doing the owning? What is it here that is the experiencer? Is there a self that is the doer, the knower, the experiencer? So these, uh, these three qualities, anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence or uncertainty, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, incompleteness, anatta, not self. These are like uh, three, three lenses of different strengths, different magnifying power to examine, to, to look closely at the patterns of our experience. Whether it's a sound that we hear outside or a feeling in the body, whether it's a, a memory, an idea, a mood, whether it's the quality of cognizing, knowing itself. They are lenses to hold up to those experiences, to look, to see. Is this changing? Is this satisfying? Is this really who and what I am? And then through that seeing, through that direct recognition, through knowing within our own heart, well, look, it is empty. It is uncertain. No matter how hard I look for myself, the harder I look, the more what I take to be a me or a self is indefinable. There's awareness. There's a fundamental quality of, of knowing. But to call that an ego, to call that me and mine, more and more it's seen that that's a, a faulty interpretation. It's a mistaken identity.
or with the meditation, already um, there's a a good substantial quality of, of calmness and focus, a quality of Tranquility. When the mind is is indeed stable and can rest in the present moment, okay, staying with the breath for extended periods of time, being able to attend to the present without drifting, without distraction. When you find that uh, uh, your own mind is has arrived at that kind of stability, then uh, there's no need to pay particular attention to the breathing. We use the breath as an anchor to help fix the attention on the present moment. The breath acts simply as a, a marker, a reference point for the present. But if the attention is resting easily in the present already, then we don't need to have such an anchor. We don't need to to fix the mind because it's already uh, stable. It's already steadily attending to the, the present moment. So during today, as and when you, you find that the the mind has arrived at that kind of steadiness. There's a, a fullness of attention in the present moment. Intention not drifting off into abstractions about past and future. Not distracted by the sounds that we hear, feelings in the body. Whenever the attention rests easily in the present moment and just allow the breath to to become part of a general field of experience so we open the awareness to experience to know the sounds we hear around us the feelings in the body thoughts that come and go so broadening the point of attention to encompass the whole of the present moment, to include all the aspects of experience. And then whatever arises, whether it's a thought, or a sound, a sensation, the way to sustain the quality of of clarity, of non-entanglement, the attention not getting caught up in the content of the experience, but to, is to use these reflections on change, on satisfactoriness. So we hear the sound of a plane going overhead, and to sustain the objectivity or non-entanglement, we reflect that sound is changing. A feeling in the body whether we like it or don't like it, or it's neutral, just to notice the feeling is changing. A thought in the mind, a mood, a memory, 
we use these reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta to sustain that quality of non-entanglement, being able to simply attend to the flow of experience, to watch the process of experience itself, rather than get caught into the content of what's being experienced. So we're deliberately letting go of interest in the content to observe the process of experiencing, to watch the flow of the river of, uh, of our consciousness, the river of perceptions and feelings. Thoughts come and go, feelings come and go, sounds and sensations come and go. As we develop the practice, then the heart can simply rest in that awareness, rest in that knowing, be that very knowing that receives all experience, participates in it, knows it fully, but without confusion, without adding anything to it, not buying into like and dislike, approval or disapproval. It's knowing the sound of a passing plane. It's coming and going. A pattern of nature arising, abiding, fading. And for some of you, the mind is already quite calm and focused. For others of you, the mind will be still agitated and busy. But we have to, to know for ourselves, we have to decide for ourselves what is uh, going to be useful, appropriate. So if the mind is still agitated, restless, drifting here and there, then we carry on using the breath, using the, the feeling of the footsteps, in a direct, deliberate way to help establish more of a, a grounding. We need to, to use that anchor to help keep the attention here in the present, to develop that, to strengthen that. For others of us, that attention is already steady, it's clear. There's a, a lack of distraction. So we don't need that anchor of the breath. We each have to know for ourselves what's the appropriate tool to use at any one particular time. It may be that for a while, we're able to sustain this quality of open awareness, just observing the, the flow of experience. And then the mind is caught by a particular sound, a particular memory. And yet the attention is swept up, carried away by a, a string of thoughts and feelings. We get lost. 
uh, might be that all it takes is to then reflect, oh, this is just another impermanent thought. This painful memory is also anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's changing, it's empty, it's unsatisfactory. It's ownerless. It's not who and what I am. And then it dissolves, disappears. And the heart can easily then go back to a simple open awareness. Or it might be that a feeling, a sensation in the body, or an idea, an opinion, is so strong that we can't just let it go. It doesn't just take a reflection on uncertainty, transiency, to, to let it dissolve and fade. It's compelling, fascinating. So in that instance, when the mind is really drawn in, carried away, then we need to re-establish that quality of focus. So then, if the mind is really pulled in, absorbed in different thoughts and feelings, go back to the breath. Don't ignore the fact that the attention has been carried away and is caught up in proliferation. Go back to the posture. Re-establish the balance of energy and, and calm, relaxation. Go back to the breath. Re-establish the focus on the present. The clarity of attention. And when those basics have been reformed, re-established, made strong, a well-integrated posture, the attention grounded in the present, and that's steady and clear once again, then, again, we can allow the breath to fade into the general mix of experience and see if we can sustain the quality of open awareness once more. The uh, the application of these reflections or this style of meditation, as as many of you are fully aware, is vipassana, insight meditation. But just to relate, to to recollect that this is something is impermanent, is unsatisfactory. To be na- naming an experience, naming a thought as not-self. That's the, the mechanics of vipassana, is say, applying those reflections. So there is vipassana, the method, the insight method, recollecting that this is impermanent, is unsatisfactory, is not-self. But then, uh, in a more uh, complete and a deeper way, there is vipassana, which is the experience, the actual change of heart that comes from seeing in a different way. So, applying the reflection, this is impermanent, it's uncertain, it's empty, 
that's applying the method of vipassana. But then when that illusion is seen through, when there is a letting go of identification, that change in the heart where there's a recognition, oh, how could this be mine? How could there be anything that actually owns the sound of that plane or owns this memory? Oh, look at that. That change of attitude, that shift in the heart, that dropping of identification, that's the the real vipassana or the the substantial vipassana, the, the insight. That change of heart is what is liberating. Applying the method on its own is not liberating. It's more like the the writing on the, the label on the bottle. The change of heart is actually what happens when we we take the medicine that's inside the bottle. That change of view, that shift of of attitude, that clear seeing, that's the the actual quality of insight, that clear seeing, that inner seeing. So to develop vipassana meditation is not just to sit here and to be able to say anicca dukkha anatta, anicca dukkha anatta to every thought and feeling. We walk up and down, we sit here, we go about our, our business in the retreat center. It's not just a matter of repeating those reflections, but allowing the heart to be changed, allowing our vision, our attitude to be changed. That change of heart, that is the real insight. And when those moments of true insight do manifest, then there can be a, a, a habit or a reaction of, oh, wow, that's great. And the thinking mind, the self-creating habits, Sakayaditi can, can then grab that experience. And that's a natural enough reaction. But we make the effort to not buy into that. But rather when there is that kind of change of heart, when there's a letting go of identification, to simply allow there to be a realization of that, a recognition, a knowing of that, without doing anything with it, without making anything of it, without buying into any thoughts about it. Just let that quality of vision be sustained. That quality of knowing, free of 
self-creation, free of self-view. Just allow the heart to be that, to rest in that. This is what is meant by realizing the ending of dukkha. The cessation of dukkha is to be realized, which means when the grasping stops and the heart is free of dukkha, free of alienation, when there is peace, the training is to simply realize that, know that. establish a full awareness of that. Then we can really enjoy the peace that comes from non-grasping, not just ignoring that, racing on to the next thing that I'm supposed to be doing, but rather the peace that comes from non-grasping. Nibbana itself. The realization of non-grasping. The peace of that. We're giving ourselves the opportunity. We're allowing ourselves to know that and taste that fully. This is the opportunity that we have. But we can be so busy with the doingness of applying the method that we miss the peace that it's all for. We miss the point that it's all aiming towards. So don't miss that. But let yourself notice, be aware, fully and completely, when the grasping stops, when the identification stops. How is it? How does it feel? 